Welcome back to Basic Bible 101. I'm Margie Smith, and I will be leading you through this lesson today. Today we are covering the beginning of the book of Joshua. This is lesson 13 in the series, Basic Bible 101, which is from the beginning of the Bible straight through the Bible. Originally, the hope was to do it in one year, but so far we haven't managed that. My goal for this year is to do one a week, as was originally planned. But I know you've heard me say that many times before. So I just encourage you to remember to pray for me so that I'll get these done. Of course, everyone's busy, so you have to kind of factor in that there are many things that can come in the way of finishing up this project. But I really know how important it is and have just recently discovered that there are quite a few people listening to this. And I was somewhat surprised. I shouldn't have been because I know that the Lord's Word is powerful and that he reaches the people he wants to and teaches them. And if you're one of those people, I'm very grateful that you are being faithful to listen. And I hope that you're also doing the lessons, uh, the homework lessons. I realize that that takes a little bit of extra effort. And it would be much easier if I were more consistent so that you could be. But let's try this year, 2008, to really make this happen. Okay, as I mentioned last week, well, not last week, the last time we were podcasting, we were covering the book of Numbers, the story of Balaam's donkey. And if you recall, that was the story of Balak, the king of Moab, who desperately wanted uh, the Israelites to be cursed. And he had called upon a prophet to do just that, the prophet being Balaam. And Balaam resisted, and actually mainly because the Lord convicted him that the Israelites were God's chosen people and he was not to uh, curse them. So what eventually happened, and I hope if you haven't listened to, you, to it, that story, you will go back and, and listen to that podcast. Uh, in that story, Balaam's donkey actually speaks to him and warns him of, what, of the danger of his way. And so uh, what I've always taken away from that lesson is that God can use anybody to speak his word, even donkeys. And, you know, in the New Testament it says even if he can even use stones to cry out, uh, to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. So, okay, and as you know from the beginning of this, I mentioned that Basic Bible 101 is very uh, beginning step through the Bible. So if you, this is the first time you've heard one of the podcasts, I would encourage you to think long and hard about whether you already know so much that you really don't need to go through this. Of course, it's always a good review, so that's one part. And the other part is that it's always good to have teaching tools at your disposal. So if you know quite a bit about the Bible already, this may be a tool that you can use to help some of your other people that you are helping understand the Bible. Those of you who are very new to the Bible, who have been following this all along, or who just today tuned in, will find that we covered the main stories of the Bible with a bit of a slant, conservative slant. I tried to avoid getting into too many theological issues. I believe that's for the purpose of your local church, and so I hope that you are part of a local church. But I also realize that some people are tuning in and listening to these podcasts who do not go to any church or who may not even actually aren't sure if they even believe in 
Christ or in uh, God in general. And they're just using this to understand what Scripture says. And so I, what my belief is that as you are hearing these podcasts and, and reading Scripture, that God will reveal himself to you and you will understand the truth that is so evident throughout God's Word. I, on the other hand, you may decide that you disagree with me on many different things. And you know what? That's totally fine. I would encourage you to go to your local church or find a local body of believers and investigate what other people think and how they got to that point and where their views are coming from. Because theology is a very diverse field and many people interpret the same scriptures differently. So my purpose is simply to let you know what scripture says. This is the story and how you interpret it, apply it, or see it in view of the whole big picture is totally up to you and how the Lord impresses these truths upon your heart. Okay, let's begin today's lesson which begins with the book of Joshua. As those of you who know who have started basic Bible with me, I use the student Bible, the NIV student Bible. And so this, the book of Joshua follows right after the book of Deuteronomy. The end of last week's lesson, I gave a brief overview of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy for the purpose so that you would have some understanding of what those uh, books are about. They would be wonder make wonderful studies, especially the book of Deuteronomy. I think it's an awesome book. But for our purposes, since the book of Deuteronomy is one speech given by Moses, really, if you sat down and read it and pondered it, you would pretty much have what it was that Moses was trying to say. And this was right before he died. At this point, since the book of Deuteronomy ends with Moses going up on the hill and Joshua taking over the uh, responsibility for the people of Israel. We begin with Joshua being commanded by the Lord to be brave and courageous. And so at the very beginning, the Lord commands Joshua um, that now that Moses is gone, I want you to lead the people into the promised land, the land that they have been waiting to enter for the last 40 years. And I'm sure this was, an, was a very exciting day for Joshua. On the other hand, I think it might have been a little frightening. Since by this time, the children of Israel had grown into quite a large number of people. And as the Lord had protected them and fed them on manna and quail and provided water for them in the desert, they had prospered. The old generation, the original Israelites who had come, been delivered out of Egypt, under Moses' leadership, had all died in the desert by this time. Forty years and a generation had passed. And the young generation, those who were children or were raised in or born in the desert, were the ones now who were in leadership. And so it was time for the God's promise to be fulfilled. And Mos uh, Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land, as you might recall, because of uh, a simple little act that a, lot, a lack of faith on his part from back in the book of Exodus where he, or maybe it was Numbers, <laughs> where he struck a rock instead of speaking to the rock to bring forth water. And there are a lot of reasons people speculate on why God made the choice for Moses not to go forward. But from all appearances, it seems that Moses acted a bit rashly and took on 
some of his own thinking that I have a better way to do this than God does. But regardless of the reason, and of course Moses was very advanced in years, that it was um, God's will that Moses would not enter the promised land and that Joshua would instead lead the people. So in the beginning of the book of Joshua, let's look at some of these key verses. I, I think that you will see many times, four or five times during the very first chapter, where God tells Joshua to be very bold and courageous. This is quite a charge because the task before them is huge. Remember, originally they were afraid to go into the promised land because the people there were so big, so prosperous, so well, the city so well fortified that there was no question this was going to be a true challenge to the Israelites. Secondly, because the Israelites had no weapons, there was a period of time when they had to really develop their skills as warriors. I think that's part of the reason the Lord allowed them to stay into the, in the wilderness for so long. But now they were going to go forward, really, with no arms, with nothing. So how do you fight a battle with nothing? And we will see that God, who goes before us always, has means of fighting the battles for us. And, and so this is so clear here with the uh, entrance into the promised land. Now, as, from our maps, if you have ma the maps that were originally in the student book or... Uh, you know, I'm not really sure that I put the maps in there. So if not, you might look if uh, the student Bible has maps in the back. You will see that the land that they are moving into is just west uh, of the Jordan River. And so for those of you who might be somewhat familiar with the geographic area of Israel today, the Jordan River pretty much runs north and south from out of the Dead Sea up to the Sea of Galilee. That will sound familiar because those of you that have heard about Jesus' travels and where he was born and all that know that he spent quite a, a bit of time around the Sea of Galilee. But that river, the Jordan River, which pretty much dissects the area between what was the desert and the mountainous area that moves then into the uh, the very beautiful foothills that, uh, and the plains that go down into right next to the Mediterranean Sea. So this was a very lush area, very well watered, uh, got a lot of rain, very much um, sought after. And so it's no wonder that there were so many tribes who had settled there and deeply entrenched in this area. In the book of Numbers, one of the stories that happened, and we didn't actually cover it in basic Bible, but the two, or actually three of the Israelite tribes, remember there are 12, three of them end up, uh, God gives them the land to the west of the, of the Jordan River. And because of that, they really have already settled their property. But God commands that those fighting men from those three tribes join with the rest of the Israelites and move forward and help the other tribes take the rest of the land, which is all the land to the west of the Jordan River. So in Joshua 1, we begin with the Lord speaking to Joshua, and he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give you. Uh, to the Israelites, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, 
which is far to the north, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So Joshua has received God's personal promise that he would be with him. Then the Lord goes on to tell Joshua, Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. So up until this point, we have the law of Moses that, that began with the Ten Commandments and continued with many of the laws that are in the book of uh, Leviticus and Numbers and with uh, the words from Moses that are in the book of Deuteronomy, the charge that he gives the people. And God is reminding Joshua, if you stay close to my word, I can use you mightily, but don't stray from it because I want you to be successful. Okay, and he's... Over and over again, he says, be strong and very courageous. Uh, once again in verse 9, uh, do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua then goes to the officers of the various tribes and warns them that they need to get ready because in three days they'll be crossing the Jordan into the promised land. I'm sure there was great rejoicing and a little bit of uh, intrepidation. Boy, is this going to fare well for us? I'm sure there was a bit of uh, fear. But Joshua proclaimed confidently that God would be with them. One of the ways that Joshua prepared was to send two spies over to the land of Jericho, the city of Jericho, which is the first place that they would have their initial battle with the Canaanites, the people that were living in the land of Canaan where they would be settling. And so Joshua sends these two gentlemen and says, go look over the land, especially Jericho. One of the things you might remember is that Joshua was one of the spies along with Caleb that originally went into the promised land 40 years earlier. They were the two that said, we can take the land, let's go. And it was the other 10 spies who said, no, we can't, this is horrible, we're not going to make it, let's don't go. So I'm sure that Joshua was a little bit... Uh, okay, we'll see what they come back with, but regardless, he was going to move forward. And as it turned out, the Lord was really with those two spies. The, chapter 2 of Joshua says that when the spies entered Jericho, they went to the house of a prostitute. Now you might think, well, why did they go to a prostitute? What would be the advantage to them of going to someone like that? And I think if you think about it for a minute, you'd realize, well, that was probably one of the few people that strangers could go to where it wasn't really very surprising that she had strangers in and out of her house all the time. Secondly, I'm sure she was used to meeting strangers all the time. So for her, there was a certain amount of uh, expectancy that someone would just show up at her door. Now, one of the things that Rahab realized when she talked to, to these spies were that was that they were part of the Israelites and the entire city in fact the entire region had heard about the way God had worked through the people of Israel in conquering so many of the tribes on the other side of the Jordan and so there was great fear in the people in the land of Canaan 
And Rahab was able to convey this to the spies, who were then kind of excited, the, thinking, wow, you know, we've already intimidated the enemy. But Rahab, the prostitute, said, now listen, I'll help you, but you need to help me and my family. Well, of course, the king of Jericho had heard that there were some strangers in town, and he found out that they were spies. And so he sent some of his men to search Rahab's house for these men. But Rahab was smart and hid them on the roof of her house under some flax that she had out uh, drawing up on the roof. So once the guards had left, she got out the two spies and told them, if you will protect my family, then I will protect your secret. And so the spy said, great, you know, our lives for your lives, fine. You know, if you will just tie a scarlet cord to the outside of your window, then when we conquer Jericho, we will know whoever is in that house that we are to protect. So be sure anybody that you care about, you love, is in that house. And Rahab agreed. Now Rahab's little condo was on the city wall, and so she was able to let the spies out and down outside the wall um, from the window of her house. But before she did, she had told the guards, hey, I do think those guys, yeah, they were here, but they left. They took off. If you hurry, you might be able to catch them. And so a group of uh, soldiers had taken off out of Jericho to go find those two spies. So Rahab suggested to this, the two spies that were still in her house, listen, if you just go ahead and get to the hills and hide out for a few days and then return back to your tribes, you're probably going to have a better shot at it. And so that's what they did. And when they returned back to Joshua and told him the story, Joshua was, was encouraged and they began to prepare in earnest and said, tomorrow morning we are going across the Jordan. Their cross, uh, their um, method of getting across the Jordan was exactly as it had been from the beginning where the Levites, the priests who were the only ones who were allowed to escort the Ark of the Covenant, they went before the children of Israel. We always call them the children of Israel and I know it sounds like they're all children. <laughs> and actually these are the children of the original escapees. So that's why we refer to them that way. But they were adults. As the the rest of the Israelites followed the procession from with the Ark of the Covenant out front, what happened was as the priest stepped into the Jordan River, which was at flood stage at this time and it's quite a great river, the water stopped upstream somewhere, was dammed up somehow, just in the same way that, remember when they crossed the Red Sea, how the waters parted? Well, this time they were able to once again cross the Jordan River on dry land. And so when the Israelites had gotten all the way across, Joshua commanded one of the leaders from each of the tribes to go and pick up a stone from the riverbed. And when they got to the other side, and sure enough, when the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant stepped out of the water, the water started to flow again. And they set up camp that night and in a place called Gilgal. And Joshua had the leaders each put their stone uh, from the riverbed into a pile, and that became one of their little symbols that would show how God had brought them into this land. And as we've noticed before, when there is a time of great struggle or a great uh, when God has spoken, they want to mark that occasion. It was not that uncommon for them to 
put a marker at the place where they were. And in this case, it was a, a pile of stones that from that generation on, the people would be able to show their children that God had brought them out of the land of the desert into the land of Canaan. Since we're discussing the ark here, we've mentioned it. What was in the ark? Do you remember? Now remember this ark is just a giant box basically that has been elaborately constructed and is carried by poles uh, through that were carried on the shoulders of priests and they can only be a Levite priest or the only ones who are allowed to carry the ark. In the ark, if you recall, were the tablets that Moses had received the Ten Commandments on. There was the jar of manna, one of the first jars that they uh, of manna that they had received uh, the special bread, the frosted flakes that were out in the wilderness. And Aaron's rod, the rod that had budded, the one when there was question about whether Moses really had chosen the right high priest in Aaron, and God had said, yes, it was Moses, and here is his um, the symbol. And so uh, from... The day that they stepped into the promised land, it passed the Jordan. From then on, they didn't receive any manna. They, that day, they ate off the fruit of the land, which was there. Because remember, it was a very uh, prosperous area. And so they were able to glean some wheat and be able to actually begin eating off the produce from the land. So in chapter 4, as they prepare for battle, they're not quite ready yet. Because all the time they've been in the wilderness, none of the young men have been circumcised. And if you recall, that was one of the key re requirements that God had put upon his people so that they would be known as his own people. Now, why they didn't practice the circumcision right in the wilderness, I don't know. But because the old generation had all died off, none of the new generation was circumcised. And so Joshua took the time to go ahead and make sure all the the men were circumcised so that they could be totally consecrated before the Lord and prepared heart, soul, mind, body for the battle that was ahead of them. You would be thinking that they were preparing for a great battle, a lot of bloodshed, uh, really some, some tough times ahead, and that would eventually happen. But at this point, God was going to show them in a very miraculous way that he was with them and that he could fight the battle for them. Now he does this by telling Joshua, here's the battle plan. I want you to send out the trumpeters first and the marching men, but they're not to do anything but march. In fact, the whole tribe, all of the people of Israel are to march around Jericho one time every day for six days. And then at the seventh day, the battle will be won. I'm sure, remember, Joshua had been trained under Moses as a mighty fighting man. There had been lots of battles that they won, very strategic battles, back in the book of Numbers. So here they are, finally in the land promised to them, and God tells them to just march around this city. If you had been Joshua, I think you might have said, are you kidding me? But <laughs> we find that Joshua is very trusting of the Lord, and he's, great if that's what you want us to do God that's what we'll do so that's what he commands the people just walk around the town once each day we're gonna blow our trumpets and then we're gonna head back to our camp on and this they did for six days the priest went forward carrying the ark around 
and the people marched around and then on the last day on the seventh day Joshua told them okay this time we're gonna go around the city seven times now I don't know how big that city was maybe not very big sounds like a lot of walking to me a lot of marching but the people were ready for it and they said okay we're heading out and sure enough this day they marched around the town seven times now always before they had never said anything but this day Joshua commanded them at when he gave the order they were to give a loud shout the war cry and sure enough that's what they did and when they shouted the walls of Jericho just tumbled there's a lot of reason logically why this would have happened because loud sounds certainly as you know sonic booms and such can create quite a bit of damage break glass all kinds of things so with such a great number of people all shouting trumpets blowing and marching I'm sure there was weakness in the walls but even if there hadn't been even if they'd been terrifically strong walls the Lord just said now's the time my people are coming in and sure enough they came in they spared Rahab and her family as they promised they would but everybody else was destroyed and Joshua gave the uh, warning that this city was never to be rebuilt uh, chapter 6 verse 26 talks about that it'll, whoever tries to build this, ha this land or this city again it will be at the cost of their firstborn and at the cost of their youngest and this prophecy is fulfilled later on in the book of Kings when we go through the book of Kings we'll find it again it's first uh, Kings 1634 is the story of how that curse was uh, fulfilled okay so we're gonna stop there for today as the people have succeeded in their first battle I'm sure it was a great time of excitement um, let's take a minute and think what was what was it that um, that Joshua did in this lesson that was significant one he trusted the Lord and he was courageous Two, he obeyed explicitly when God said uh, send the priests into the water first of the Jordan River that's what they did when they got to the other side they built the stone uh, altar more or less the place of uh, stones pile of stones where they would remember that God brought them to this place and then he followed the battle plan exactly marching around the city for six days straight and then on the seventh day shout the people shouted and won so I'm hoping that if as you've seen this you have been amazed that God has been so good to the people of Israelites of Israel to uh, lead them into the promised land there are some other interesting stories in the book of Joshua we're not going to cover them because this is the primary most important passage in the book of Joshua but take the time to read the rest of the book it's not very long there's a significant or I don't know how significant but an interesting uh, bit of detail in chapter 10 where they are fighting with another group another tribe the Israelites are and they're so close to winning but it's getting dark and they're afraid they're going to lose the battle because the enemy will have time to regroup and so Joshua prays that the Lord would just hold the sun still and so that's exactly what happens the it's considered the the longest day where the sun stands still for 24 hours and you know it's interesting because uh, historians I guess the people who study the movements of the sun and the earth and moon this uh, astrologers astronomers I guess it is 
um, say that there is a missing day in the universe. And so uh, he, this, this was it. It was the day that the sun stood still for 24 hours while Joshua was able to win the battle and the Israelites were able to make great progress in the land. There's uh, Later on in chapter 12, there's a list of the kings that were defeated, the land that was taken, and then uh, towards the end of Joshua, the division of the land. So pretty much the conquering of the land of Canaan takes place during the book of Joshua. I have in the past sat down and kind of uh, took a little map and marked where the various battles were. Um, which is an interesting thing to do if you're into any kind of uh, battle history or whatever that it might be a fun thing to do. I just did it because I was curious who they actually conquered. And sometimes they do face these enemies again later on when they didn't completely wipe out some of the tribes that they were supposed to. Also, you notice in Joshua chapter 20, it talks about the cities of refuge. These were the cities where if there were ever a problem, a dispute, uh, you killed somebody by accident and you were afraid that their family was going to take revenge upon you, you could run to these cities and you were protected until you actually had a chance to make your case. Okay, that pretty much wraps up the book of Joshua. And when we begin in our next podcast, we're going to talk, begin the book of Judges. Each of the Judges will be, not every one of them, but we will cover Judges individually. So we aren't covering the whole book at once like we did with Joshua. And so I just want to encourage you to continue with your reading. If you have not already read through the Bible up until the book of Judges, please do so before our next podcast. And I promise you won't have that long <laughs> to do that in. As well as go ahead and read the first four or five chapters of Judges until we get to the port point where we can uh, next time thoroughly cover Deborah the judge. Okay, and so I want to encourage you to be strong and courageous. Let the Lord fight your battles. And until next time, be blessed. <laughs>